When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. In this episode, we're looking at an event that's sometimes described as the first genocide of the 20th century, and at the long-delayed efforts by Germany to deal with the legacy of what happened under German colonial rule in Southwest Africa in 1904. I'll be talking to Dr. Esther Minyangwe, who is a chairperson of the Ova Herrero Genocide Foundation, did a great deal to bring international attention to the issue. And to Dr. Francesca Burma, a political scientist at Texas State University who studies international criminal law and transitional justice in sub-Saharan Africa. So how should we deal with the legacy of the Namibian genocide? In May, Heiko Maas, the German foreign minister, made a formal statement to the Bundestag in Berlin, acknowledging that a genocide had taken place in the country now known as Namibia. The German government's agreed to pay Namibia over a billion euros in what it says is a gesture of reconciliation. The word reparations is carefully avoided. But, as you'll hear, not everybody in Namibia is happy with the deal. Few, if any, countries in the world have done as much to grapple with the darkest episodes of their past as Germany. Visit Berlin and you'll find a large memorial to the victims of the Holocaust right by the Brandenburg Gate in the centre of the city. But the victims of German colonialism, by contrast, have been largely forgotten. A point that Esther Munyangwe made when I spoke to her on the line from Windhoek, the Namibian capital. You are right when you say the Ovahero genocide is not well known, and that is not unusual because we are talking about something that has happened 116 years ago. After the Berlin Conference of 1884, Germany took Namibia, which was then known as German Sudwest Africa, and they started to infiltrate the culture of the Ovahero people, and they started to take land from them. They started to take their cattle and cattle and, and land. They were the two assets that this community was using to make a living. The Ovahero people also, they started to get tired of the Germans who just came and uh, wanted to take over as if these people who were living there were not uh, people but animals because the treatment was very bad. So then... 
the fight then started on the 12th of January 1904, and a lot of things happened. Women were raped. There was mass hangings. Children were also killed. As people died, the bodies were beheaded. So the, those skulls were given to Ovairo women to clean them before they were now sent to Germany for so-called racial scientific research. And why we say it was genocide is because the Convention of the United Nations of 1948 described genocide as the intent to destroy in whole or in part a religious group, a nation, a race, or an ethnic group. Now, the intent was clear in the extermination order of Lothar von Trotter. The order was issued on the 2nd of October, 1904. The extermination order said that every Herero man, women, and child should be killed. And close to 100,000 of Herero people, a mere 15,000 were left. As Francesca Burma pointed out to me, the mass killing of the Namibian genocide anticipated some of the horrors of the Nazi Holocaust in the 1940s. We know from academic studies that there are indeed some commonalities, such as both genocides being depicted as a war between races, for instance. Um, Benjamin Bradley has argued that some of the key ideas and methods, such as the use of concentration camps by Germany, were developed during this colonial genocide in um, German South West Africa, what is today Namibia, and that later these ideas and methods became known in Germany and so that future leaders absorb some of these ideas, concepts through speeches, the press, and colonial literature, for instance. There's also some direct connections between the two. For instance, we know that thousands of Herero women were victims of sexual violence through German colonial soldiers. And one medical professional, Dr. Eugene Fisher, he conducted medical experiments on the biracial children that were born from these rapes, arguing that these were inferior to their German fathers. And in the 1930s, Fischer taught his racist theories to Nazi doctors. Um, one of his students was, in fact, Josef Mengele, who was later responsible for the medical experiments in the concentration camp of Auschwitz-Birkenau. So I think there definitely are some parallels between the two. For many years, however, the history of what happened to the Herero and Nama people was little acknowledged. Dr. Minyangwe explains how the 100th anniversary of the genocide in 2004 led to a drive for acknowledgement of the genocide and reparations. Our people could not write, but they preserved the history and the source of information was through narratives, storytellings. Now, I was brought up by great-grandmother who was born in 1911. She was born by parents who survived the genocide because she was born three years after the war ended. So what he knew was coming directly from those parents who survived the genocide. And so these were stories that were told in every household. And that is how we knew about what happened. As we grew up, we started to read books that were written by the Germans. And I thank the Germans for the records that they kept because those records are really helping us a lot today. We all know that after the World War, Germany lost its power in Namibia. And so 
through the League of Nations, Namibia became colonized by British, but it was then ruled through South Africa. So all those years, the focus then was on uh, getting freedom and independence of Namibia, liberating Namibia from South Africa. So there was totally no opportunity for Bahiro people to reflect and to talk about their own genocide that has happened. Maybe the thing that no one expected was that one day the descendants of those who survived the genocide will stood up and start demanding reparation. In 2004, the extermination order of 1904 would have marked 100 years. Right. And that was an opportunity for the Ovahero community to come together and reflect and make sense of who they were. More awareness was now raised and more people now became conscious. People started to say yes, but in fact, what Germany did to our people was genocide and we cannot just leave it like that. Germany needs to recognize that they committed genocide and what are the laws saying? If you commit genocide, you have to repair the damage that you have caused. And that is how we started then to, to try to engage the German government. As Francesca Burmer explains, the German government's position on what happened in Namibia and what to do about it has evolved slowly. At first, Germany did not really acknowledge what had happened. And while the genocide wasn't really explicitly denied or the atrocities celebrated in any way, it remained unacknowledged and compensation was ruled out for the longest time. So there was a resolution in 1989 in the German parliament, the Bundestag, that talked about Germany's quote-unquote special responsibility. But otherwise, there was no mention of the atrocities. There was some parliamentary actions, but that was much more concerned with bilateral corporations, efforts to improve Namibia's economy and how to help Namibia gain independence. When German Foreign Minister Joschka Fischer, he visited Namibia in 2003, he said that Germany is, quote, no hostage to history. So decades went by without really in a, a formal engagement by the then West German government um, with the genocide. And Reinhard Köstler, he has actually referred to this as a form of amnesia, a sort of a public attitude of not addressing the past, um, but that's technically known, but it's really not a topic of discussion. And I think that captures very well what was going on. There was a change, I would say, the most marked change in the early 2000s um, after a lawsuit was filed in the U.S. against the German government and three German corporations. And while these cases were dismissed, this legal action really helped to spur German attention and so since then, there's been increasing visits by German politicians to Namibia, parliamentary actions and increased media attention. And then there was an awkward half apology by the German Minister for Development in 2004. And there was for the first time talk about, quote unquote, deep regret and grief. Years of bilateral discussions between Germany and Namibia culminated a couple of months ago with a major announcement in Berlin. On May 28th, the German foreign minister, Heiko Maas, made this big announcement on the conclusion of the negotiations with Namibia, which had been ongoing since 2015. And two main things really stand out in what we know so far of this German-Namibian reconciliation agreement. One is about the labeling of what had happened in Namibia at the start of the 20th century. According to Maas, reconciliation also includes 
quote, being unreserved and unflinching in naming the events of the German colonial period. He said, we will now officially call these events what they are from today's perspective, a genocide, unquote. And he then asked Namibia and the descendants of the victims for forgiveness. In addition to officially calling a spade a spade, the genocide a genocide, the second big ticket item of the announcement was the compensation part, that Germany is going to support Namibia and the descendants with a financial package worth 1.1 billion euro for reconstruction and development over the next 30 years. So we have yet to see the full agreement. Um, it still needs to be ratified by both parliaments in Namibia and Germany. And once it's ratified, the plan is for German President um, Steinmeier to um, travel to Namibia and deliver a speech to the Namibian parliament. And it is expected that an actual apology would happen during that speech, which is something that Namibian advocates have long demanded. And this was all supposed to happen this summer, but now seems to be delayed until further notice because of COVID. Um, so indeed, Mr. Rukuro, who was um, paramount chief of the Hereros and an ardent critic of the agreement, he died earlier this month of COVID complications and other leading Namibian officials, so members of the parliament um, and some members of the government are actually sick with COVID. So we right now have to wait and see when further progress can actually be made on finalizing this agreement and the apology process. While the German and Namibian governments do seem determined to press on with the official agreement when the pandemic permits, some of those who've long campaigned for recognition of the genocide are not happy. Esther Minyangwe explains why. It's very simple. We are not happy because we, we were not part of the process. The German government is violating international laws. You take the 2007 UN principles on the rights of the indigenous people. It guarantees that the victims or descendants of the victims have the right to speak for themselves. We have that right to self-determination. The German government is still violating that right to self-determination. So how can we be happy if we are not part of the process? The German government was clear that it's a sovereign government, it's a sovereign state, and hence, they will not have discussions with our groups. So that is why up to now, the German government has never sat with the representatives of the affected communities. And while both Namibian and German government officials have said that descendants of the Herero and Nama victims were involved in the negotiations, the extent of their inclusion in the decision-making process is unclear, as Francesca Burmer explains. To be honest, it's rather unclear who exactly was involved in what, because over the years, no details of the negotiations really became public. There was a sort of aura of secrecy surrounding it. The Council of Chiefs, um, which is a body representing the Herero Nama people, had been involved throughout the talks. And now afterwards, the Council of Chiefs has said that they were not involved enough and that they find the agreement unacceptable. So while we now seem to have an agreement between the two states, the buy-in from some of the domestic groups in Namibia appears to be lacking, which could ultimately undermine the reconciliation process. The German government presents this agreement as final. But I asked Esther Mnyangwe if the issue is truly closed. The issue is far from closing. I can assure you that. What we are demanding is reparation to the Namibian of Herero people. Why is it so difficult for the German government to sit with the Nama and Herero people if they could sit with the Jews' representatives and the state of Israel? 
Why can they not follow the same model? Sit with representatives of the Vahiro people, the Namibian government, and the German government. What is so difficult? Francesca Burma says those who complain that Germany is treating the Namibian genocide differently from the Holocaust do have a point. I mean, that's true. Germany has agreements within its reparation scheme, some with Israel and some um, directly with the Jewish Claims Conference. So in that sense, she's correct in saying that. The assumption here was now that, and maybe this is just because so much time has passed and because now these things are done differently, that Germany is only directly engaging with the Namibian government assuming or letting the Namibian government decide how it wants to include victims groups in its engagement with Germany. It's a very striking contrast though, isn't it, with uh, their attitude to the Holocaust because, you know, as a visitor to Germany, it's always struck me how unusually directly the Germans are in engaging with the horrors of their past. I mean, I believe that right at the moment there's a big exhibition in Berlin on atrocities committed by the Wehrmacht in Eastern Europe and the the president has spoken about how many Germans will have a war criminal somewhere in their family and yet there's this sort of attitude of ignorance bordering on denial when it came to Namibia. Was that simply because there was too much else to engage with or that it was too difficult to add yet another burden of history? I mean, I think that there's a combination of factors that help to explain sort of the slow acknowledgement, something that is different from the Holocaust. I think partly the Holocaust was special in Germany because there was much more immediate evidence maybe of it. And there was so much international pressure that pressured Germany into doing something about it. And even then, right, it took until the early 50s um, for Germany to start reparations um, with Israel and the Jewish Claims Conference. I think that some other factors helped to explain it in addition to that in Namibia and in Germany, um, that after the genocide in Namibia, Germany, as we know, entered last World War I, along with its colonies. It tried its hand at democracy, saw the rise of fascism, World War II, the division of the country. So there was a lot that was going on. And it doesn't help, of course, that teaching German colonial history isn't a mandatory subject in history classes in Germany, whereas a lot of time is spent on other 20th century topics. Now, how we can explain it, I think, is really difficult, given that so much time has passed that has made it maybe harder to some extent to engage with the victims groups. So I think there's differences in these historical events that may help explain um, why that is the case. But I also know that some would say that this is an hypocritical way of engaging with African nations versus other people. Despite these objections, the German government remains basically satisfied with the outcome of the negotiations. My hunch is that there isn't a lot of discomfort. I feel like they're really happy that after five, six years of negotiation, they finally have an agreement and that they are giving something um, to the other side in terms of this financial package and that there will be an official apology. And I think they see it as a real breakthrough. Um, And to some extent, it is a breakthrough in this long reconciliation process. But I think that on the other side, um, it is not seen as enough or maybe too little too late. And I think from the German side, there won't be um, a lot of renegotiation that's happening because they have been really happy, I think, with what is in the agreement. In the end, however, no agreement or statement, no matter how fulsome or generous, 
can ever repair the damage that was done to the Nama and Herero people. I'm sure you have heard about what they call transgenerational trauma. There are a lot of books that were also research that was done on the Holocaust survivors. Their research evidence proof that trauma can be translated from one generation to the next generation. So the 15,000 people who survived, who were reduced to skin and bones, who were looking like walking skeletons, who were so confused, not knowing how to start their life, because even the cattle that they used to have were no longer theirs. The land that they used to live on were no longer belonging to them. And they have become domestic workers in the homes of Germans. That pain that they went through, that pain was transformed, translated from what that generation up to the generation today. Take my oh, people who are living in South Africa and Botswana. Their ancestors have left Namibia because of the genocide and they, they, they fled to other countries. These people were born there today. They cannot even speak their mother tongue. They cannot speak Oshirero. I know the Germans are so, are so proud of speaking their German language, but I have people living in South Africa who cannot speak their language, who have lost their culture, who don't know who they are, who don't have an identity. Those are the people of today that I'm talking about as a result of what happened more than 100 years ago. So we are feeling this pain up to now. Politically, we have been reduced to the minority in this country. Therefore, we cannot be at every decision-making structure in this country. So we feel this thing. And Germany is still putting salt in our emotional wounds. And people are starting to get tired. That is the, the point. So we are feeling it today. It's not a matter of 100 years ago. The past is not past yet. That was Dr. Esther Munyangwe in Namibia, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. You also heard from Dr. Francesca Burma. And that's it for this week's edition. I hope you'll be able to join me again next week. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.